Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. There's an international investment fund keen to attract Singapore investors. The man behind the fund says it's only for those who are, quote, crazy, smart and gutsy enough. My guest is CEO of the Twynham Group. At its peak, the agriculture group was one of Australia's biggest owners and operators of broadacre farmland, producing grain, oilseed, cattle, wool, cotton, rice and citrus. The asset management arm of the Twynham Group are behind a 50 million US dollar decarbonization fund which they launch in 2023. Johnny Calbetza, chair of Twynham Fund Management, joins me now. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? Doing really well. Um, why do investors have to be gutsy to join your fund? Well, look, it's an interesting space, the whole decarbonization, where the world's facing in, uh, what the world's facing in trying to ameliorate what we've been doing with the climate and mm-hmm. um, to make a big impact you we need to be looking up the risk curve um, to find these technologies which can produce a demonstrable and scalable decarbonisation impact so with any earlier stage investments there are some higher risks but as a first fund uh, we think it, the risk isn't as, some, as high as some people think because uh, first funds tend to be the most successful and in the current world of venture capital being a bit on the nose, it's, uh, we're getting a lot more opportunities at much better pricing. Can you take us behind the scenes? So the Twynham Group is one of <coughs> Australia's largest and best-known agricultural businesses. What happens prior to 2023 when the fund is launched? Uh, why decide on the fund at this time? So we've been investing in the space of decarbonisation since 2000. Mm-hmm. So 23 years we've been interested. About four or five years ago, we got very much more focused on it and employed a team specifically to invest in decarbonisation technologies. And obviously the whole ESG thing is very much front and centre in the press. And our view is a lot of it's what we call fluffy ESG and not particularly focused on getting real results, which the world needs. So um, we've talked about starting up a fund and we just thought, well, now's as good a time as any to see if there are other people with like minds who want to join us on the ride. Like I'm involved day to day with the business. I have my own money in in it and invested so uh, yeah that's the reason your target is 50 million and i understand you've already attracted interest from notable investors are you still looking to hong kong as a base for fundraising look we fundraise around the world so we have been to hong kong to raise money we've been to singapore we've been to the u.s australia obviously we're looking at other asian countries to raise in and obviously europe as well so it's not a an individual individual country which we only look to investors from but yeah obviously Hong Kong and Mm -hmm. Singapore are the two Asian sort of centres. So what do you think will interest Singapore investors to the fund? So we've been to Singapore and a couple of times and met a whole range of investors there obviously you've got a lot more family offices being set up in Singapore um, a number of the local Singaporean families and companies that we've met really was interesting. They really mentioned the point that they're noticing in their day-to-day lives that it's either wetter, drier, hotter. Yeah. So climate change is 
in their face and they're acknowledging that climate change is real. Uh, so that's really the trigger that they're saying, well, yes, it's real and it's a future business opportunity which um, is going to grow dramatically, like Leon Pink from BlackRock said that the next thousand unicorns are going to be from uh, green, the climate space. So uh, it's going to be a, a big industry. Um, it's a growing industry and so financially it has a return and they're thinking, well, we can help get a benefit on the ground while also getting competitive financial returns. So I think that's the combination. Johnny, help us understand the rationale behind the <coughs> emphasis on high growth early stage companies in this space. I guess predominantly because it's such an early industry. Mm. So there, there are very few technologies which are well developed. Obviously, you've got wind and solar, PV, panels, which we've all seen all over the place. But to really have a wholesale change in our carbon footprint as a society, we need to get decarbonisation in things we do every day, like our air conditioners. Obviously, cars are one thing which is happening already. Food production systems, different methodology for growing food, uh, how we produce our chemicals. So we've invested in a number of companies prior to the fund being created, which are involved in all those spaces. And we might get on to some of those uh, a bit later on. You mentioned there's a lot of tech out there that might be, you know, fluffy tech or uh, fluffy initiatives towards real problems that we're facing when it comes to environmental issues. What criteria does the fund employ when deciding on making investment choices? So there are four areas. The first is it must have a large decarbonisation potential. We have a view that for anything to be successful in decarbonisation, in most cases, it needs to be able to sort of slot into whatever you're replacing. So if you're an air conditioner, you need to be able to remove the air conditioner out of the wall and put a new air conditioner in without doing major modifications. The unit costs, it must be CapEx competitive. So if it costs you $2,000 for an air conditioner, you need to be able to get this new air conditioner for $2,000 or less, and it needs to have a lower operating cost. And then management is critical. So you've got the impact, the unit costs, the ability to fit in as a plug-and-play replacement, and then your team who's going to take their idea forward. Can you talk to us about some of the most interesting investments you've made so far? Yeah. So in the pre the fund, we have Monarch Tractors, which is an autonomous electric tractor out of the US. Mm. And they've got Case New Holland, which is the second largest tractor manufacturer in the world is licensee of their technology. You've got a company which takes carbon out of the stacks of industry and takes that carbon and repurposes it into plastics and chemicals. We have an air conditioning company which in humid climates can reduce the power consumption by 60%. And then in the fund, we have four investments to date. We've got one investment which is involved with uh, reducing the methane emissions from cattle. So they make up about 8% of the world emissions today. So that's that's an exciting technology for us. 
and um, we have in India a company which is not, it's not so much a new technology, but it's more implementing electric vehicles for the, like the tuk-tuks and the small vehicles for the delivery. And they're generally used by sort of the Amazons and Flipkarts of this world. Wow, really uh, wide-ranging there. I understand that the Kalbetsa family seeded the fund, your family seeded the fund with $5 million of your own money. And other early investors include Swinburne University over in Australia and heir to the Walmart retail fortune, Lucas Walton. How has collaborating with these partners facilitated the growth of this fund? Yeah, so I'll start with uh, my family. I have, we've funded it and when we started, we went, there was a discussion what that check size should be and we, after a while we settled on 10%. The Walton family, sorry, Lucas Walton's business builder's vision coming in. So they're well respected within the decarbonisation space and ocean health. So having a big name gives you credibility. They uh, did a lot of due diligence uh, on us and we passed that Mm -hmm. after a number of months. So that gives that credibility. And Swinburne University, there aren't, certainly in Australia, are very few universities who invest in this space. Well, sorry, invest in venture capital full stop. Mm -hmm. So to have any university come along and invest in an early stage fund is a great uh, support for us. Along the way, what has been your biggest challenge that you face with the Earth Fund and what have you learned from it? Well, the biggest challenge at the moment is actually raising, getting the 50 million, getting to that number with uh, the increased interest rates. People have been going, well, oh, we can put our money in the bank or in other credit funds. Right. And then with the venture capital market sort of having the big hiccup when Silicon Valley Bank folded early last year, um, that's taken a few people out of the space. But uh, I think they've been those are generally the uh, call them more seasoned investors in venture capital. And what we're finding though is new people are coming into that space specifically because of the decarbonisation issues. The Earth Fund's investments are going to cover six areas food and agriculture, ocean sustainability, zero waste, clean energy, the built environment, <laughs> and zero carbon. I'd love to hear some insights on some trends that you're noticing in any of these areas. Has anything clearly stood out for you in terms of how these areas are moving in terms of um, green initiatives? Yeah, look, over our life being involved in the space of decarbonisation, you find these sectors become hot and then less hot or cold and they evolve. Um, Part of our job is to ensure that we are not responding to what's the hot business because when things become hot, they become expensive. So we tend to look more thematically at what do we think are the important things coming up or where do we think there are breakthroughs in technologies and uh, try and find the companies before they necessarily become too hot. Mm, makes a lot of sense. So How- I guess a classic, sorry, a classic no, example ahead. would be lithium. So lithium processing was hot as hot up until sort of four months ago. Mm-hmm. And with the dramatic decrease in the lithium price, that's sort of all fallen apart. 
but lithium, we all know, is going to be a significant player in electrification of transport. So it is relevant, and the cheaper we can make lithium in the future, the better it's going to be and the easier it is going to be to electrify transport. It's a really interesting insight. Uh, We're keen to hear your thoughts on this region. Do you think enough is being done in Asia to move the needle on decarbonisation? Look, I don't think you pick on Asia. I think the whole world is still a little bit slow. Um, governments are making some calls of like net zero by 2050 or by 2030, whatever those calls are. Mm-hmm. How you actually get the implementation is, I think, more of the issue. We've seen, we have seen some great moves worldwide, like Singapore, for instance, has introduced the law that by um, 2030, the all maritime vessels in the ports must be emissions free. We've seen New Delhi with the announcement of the electric vehicles for delivery having to phase into being 100% electric by 2030. Obviously in America you've got the IRA Act uh, which is having a dramatic impact on the decarbonisation industries in the US and you're seeing sort of Europe wanting to match that so, look, the world is getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the quantum changes, though, it's going to be hard without some more legislative support. Mm. Okay. So lots of initiatives. How personally confident are you that we can achieve a world with reduced carbon emissions by 2050 or sooner? Uh, look, it's possible. It's really going to depend on how every person in the world views their lifestyles. Yeah. So the technologies are going to develop like 2050 that's 27 years 26 years away a lot will happen in 26 years um, with the technologies ideas are people willing to change their views on for instance what cars people drive in america are they going to move away from their big f-150s to a f-150 which has a a battery and Mm. uh, how quick do we implement charging infrastructure to enable that to happen. But the technologies will be there. It will depend on every individual on this planet and on government legislative support. Well, thank you so much for joining us with your thoughts. We've learned a lot. The asset management arm of the Twynham Group, one of the wealthiest family businesses in Australia, is raising capital for a new earth fund, which is focused on companies with the technology to cut carbon emissions. The fund wants to support businesses that work for the planet, not against them. I've been speaking with Johnny Kalbetza, chair of Twynham Funds Management. Johnny, thank you again. Thanks, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.